you know, you brought up a really good point. You know, what's your track record? To me, that's a term that's probably costs people more money than anything else. I mean, yeah. you know, we teach something here called forward-looking due diligence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's always amazed me, the industry makes us put in big, bold letters on everything, past performance doesn't predict future results, wow. but then everyone uses past performance to predict future results. You know, so we talk about forward-looking due diligence, which is, all right, I want to look at past performance, but not from the standpoint of, all right, you were up 20% last year, you're going to be up 20% this year. But you're up 20% last year. How'd you do it? Is that repeatable? And, you know, what could go horribly wrong? And, you know, it's that what could go horribly wrong question that I would suggest people ask before they buy anything that will save your butt at some point in your life. Trust me on that one. This is Seeking Alpha's Investing Expert Podcast. I'm Rob Isbitz. I'm a Seeking Alpha contributor. And you can find my work under the profile name Modern Income Investor. Uh, Today, I'm joined by my friend and fellow investment industry and ETF industry veteran, Matthew Tuttle, who is now also a Seeking Alpha contributor. And in this episode, we are going to span the globe. Uh, We're going to look at what's real in today's markets and what is mythology. And when we see myths, we're going to bust them. So, uh, you know, that's kind of what both of us have done really since about the 1990s. Uh, So welcome to this no uh, BS zone. Uh, Matthew and I have not seen it all, but we've seen a lot. So you're not going to get conventional wisdom here. Uh, We're also both uh, longtime chartists, so expect some chart talk here. And... um, you know, with that said, uh, let's start spanning the globe for investment ideas. Ready to go? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm kind of expecting this is like ESPN 8, the Ocho for finance. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, look, you and I agree that good ideas start with themes, Uh, you know, like understanding the reward and risk situation in the broad markets, And we use our charts and plenty of other inputs as kind of a truth teller, because we both believe that price is all that matters in the end, not what this or that TV personality says when they're on the air talking their book or maybe make loud noises to entertain you. I know you're familiar with at least one of those. Um, So let's start with item number one here, okay? The stock market. And in particular, I'm looking at the NASDAQ 100 and the Dow. I've tracked this relationship through several articles on Seeking Alpha this year. And in particular, I've looked at rolling six month returns of the QQQ and the DIA, the NASDAQ and and the Dow, and I've compared them. And I've gone back to the 1990s with this. And to me, the evolving relationship between those two and not the S&P 500 is what clues us into what the market is rewarding and how unique and dangerous this environment has really become if you don't take risk management seriously. So let me just run this by you and see what you think. The six months ended last Friday, June 23rd. We're recording this on Monday the 26th, a little afternoon uh, Eastern time. QQQ was up 
36% in the last six months. DIA up 2.6%. That's a 33% difference in six months. There have been two other times in the past quarter century where we saw anything like this. One was September of 2020 when it started looking like the market was coming out of the pandemic for good. Then the NASDAQ fell 10% in the next month. S&P fell similar, Dow fell only about six. And then as we know, it was off to the races for the end of 20 and 21 until 22 hit. The other time we saw the NAS dominate the Dow like this was in November of 99. What happened next? The gap got much wider. And by late March of 2000, the Q's six month return was 96%, not annualized, 96% in six months. The Dow over that time, 4%, 96 to 4. That sounds like a softball score when I used to play in college, except we were the four. Um, And, you know, the Dow was actually, you know, close to, uh, you know, I I mean, what, what, what happened the next couple of years, that was the blow off top in the dot com bubble, right? A little bit of history here because I think it's so important today. Next two years, March 20, uh, March of 2000 through March of 2002, the Qs, which had almost doubled in six months, fell 70%. SP fell 23%. The Dow only fell four and was actually close to flat for most of that period. So, my point of all this is, especially in today's markets, and we can talk about what the reason is for that, but the NASDAQ and the Dow, which for a long time, much of history were at least moving somewhat in sync with each other, even if one was moving a little higher than the other, they've completely divorced from each other. So what does this mean for the current market environment? So, all right. So I, I just took a little nap there, but uh, just woke up. Um, So not a whole heck of a lot. And and here's why. To me, the NASDAQ, the Dow, the S&P, probably the Russell, uh, are just stupid indexes, the way they're constructed. So right now, if you look at, you know, the NASDAQ, you know, how much of that is in seven stocks? Um, I think it's, well, I mean, NASDAQ 100, I think it's like, you know, almost half now, maybe even more than that. You look at the Dow, how much is UNH? Because that's the the highest price stock. So they're just not real good representations, except from the standpoint of, we know the Magnificent Seven stocks have been doing really, really well, and nothing else has been. What that also tells us is that probably can't keep going on forever. But what I would want to guard against, and you know, I, I I play around on Twitter, I think a lot more than you do. I think there are a massive amount of perma bears who made a lot of money last year and have just gotten crushed this year because, you know, they're looking at this and saying, oh, these stocks keep going up, keep going up. I'm going to short them. I'm going to short them. And they're, they're getting crushed. At some point, does this relationship have to come back to some sort of normalcy? I mean, it probably does. But 
you know, and, and I get worried. I, I mean, I see people keep focusing on, are we in a bull market? Are we in a bear market? Yeah. Somebody today pulled out, well, we're in a bull market because look at the S&P. I said, well, but look at the equal weighted S&P. I mean, the equal weighted S&P is up like three and a half percent this year. I mean, you know, not awful, but certainly nothing to be pounding the table on. So just I, I think you need to be very careful. And also, I think the comparisons between now and the dot-com bubble are somewhat problematic because a lot of those companies in the dot-com bubble were, were zeros. I mean, they put a dot-com at the end of their name and all of a sudden everyone's buying them and now they're gone. Yeah. Whereas you look at these magnificent seven companies, you know, yeah, are they overvalued? They probably are. But, you know, absent AI, are they real companies? Yeah, they're real companies. So, you know, could we have a crash like we had during the dot-com bubble? Yeah, we could. Could these AI companies keep going up and, you know, the Dow kind of industrial types of companies keep going down? Yeah, they could. So, I mean, one of the things we always tell people is, you know, trade based on what you see, not based on what you think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now that's, uh, th th that's really good insight. The thing I would say is, wow, you know, you and I both managed money through the dot-com era, okay? We, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've been in the trenches, so to speak. And... Yeah, you remember when the markets were down three years in a row, 2000, 2001, 2002, and in 2003 before it was over. I think you're absolutely right that, that there are a lot of differences from that time. But to me, the one thing that never really changes from era to era is human nature and human emotions when it comes to investing. Right, which also then means the one the one rule that is always there in the markets, you just don't know when it's going to happen, is reversion to the mean. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, you know, again, before we get a little bit more micro and before, you know finish the the sort of macro portion of the program here, uh, you know, we can draw any historical parallels we want. Okay, I mean, I personally believe that that you can almost throw out, maybe not throw out, but you have to discount almost any performance of any investment or or index um, before the beginning of 2022, last year. You have to discount it, and the reason is, it's like when people say to me, "Well, you know, what's your track record?" Well. What's anybody's track record when you have a combination of uh, rapid rate hikes? We don't yet know the full impact because it hasn't worked through the economy yet. Uh, yeah, people are rediscovering income yield in a, let's call it, relatively safe form, treasuries, short term, et cetera. And now the curve is starting to bleed out a little bit more. So a two-year or three-year is starting to have palatable yields, you know, for a chunk of people's portfolio. I mean, we've never we've never had an environment like this, or have we? No, um, you know, because AI makes things very different, and you know, and I suspect we have no idea how different it makes it. 
you know, look at all the different things that AI theoretically could replace. Will mm-hmm. it? I don't know. But, you know, it could. And, you know, you brought up a really good point. You know, what's your track record? To me, that's a term that's probably cost people more money than anything else. I mean, yeah. you know, we teach something here called forward-looking due diligence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's always amazed me, the industry makes us put in big, bold letters on everything, past performance doesn't predict future results, wow. but then everyone uses past performance to predict future results. And, you know, so we talk about forward-looking due diligence, which is, all right, I want to look at past performance, but not from the standpoint of, all right, you were up 20% last year, you're going to be up 20% this year, but you're up 20% last year. How'd you do it? Is that repeatable? And, you know, what could go horribly wrong? And, you know, it's that what could go horribly wrong question that I would suggest people ask before they buy anything that will save your butt at some point in your life. Trust me on that one. You are so spot on. And for all the reasons you probably think, but even a couple that you probably didn't even realize, how is this for timing? Okay. I'm I'm very active in the comments section uh, on on Seeking Alpha. I've written 150 something or other articles in the last several months. Uh, and I love going back and forth with the commenters, including the ones that, you know, rip me to high heck. Uh, no, those are all, from me. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, okay. The assumed names. So, so basically, everybody. Uh, yeah, I, I've, a, I've got a couple of burner accounts on Seeking Alpha, and I'm I'm just messing with you. Ah, uh, okay. Sorry yeah, I thought that. I'd be. I thought I'd be able to tell, but it doesn't come through with that with that originally from Boston accent of yours, which is very yeah. very subtle. Um, so, yeah, I was just explaining to some. I try to use it as an educational opportunity whenever possible. And literally, just like two days ago, I was responding to a comment on one of my recent articles, and I was taught. I I was talking about. Uh, helping them understand what performance attribution means, okay? It's one thing to say, perfect example, okay, well, the S&P 500, you know, is up double digits this year. Why is it up double digits? Well, it's up largely because of the NASDAQ and a small number of companies in the NASDAQ. Uh, Yeah, they're in the Dow too, two of them, Microsoft and Apple, but they, it goes back to what I said at the beginning. I think you were asleep for this, you said. So, so let me, let me re, uh, rehash it. Um, you know, there's the, the, you can attribute the performance of the S&P this year to the NASDAQ. There are other years where you can attribute it to certain other things, but if you don't know why you performed well, poorly, or somewhere in between, then I think what you're saying is uh, you're kind of flying blind. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, if you're looking at any type of index investment, and especially if you're looking at an active investment, then you want to know, you know, performance attribution from a strategy standpoint. 
Yeah. So like, you know, anyone who's running a inverse strategy should have made money last year. Does that mean they're a great money manager? No, it means they were short the market mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and you've got to react accordingly. If you're talking to a money manager and they can't explain to you why they're getting the returns they're getting and why those returns will or will not be able to persist, that's a situation where you run away. I mean, just a very quick aside, you know, I was asked years ago by a client at the time to review a hedge fund of funds that had been putting up extraordinary numbers, went and met with the guys, um, really nice guys, seemed smart, could not explain where their returns were coming from and why they would persist. And really, I mean, it wasn't like they were being secretive. They just didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, we're making money. We don't understand this market. We're making money. Turns out half the fund was in Madoff. Uh, you know, so I could have, you know, ferreted that out, you know, before Markopoulos did. You know, unfortunately, I didn't ask them the other question of, you know, hey, w- which funds are you invested in? Then I might have been able to figure it out. But you know, certainly you want to do some sort of attribution on anything you're doing. Yeah. And I mean, these are these are such important questions to ask now, I think, because there's just so much hype out there. Um, and, you know, people get caught up in history. And like I said, you know, what's happening in the markets today i mean i think you probably see it from where you sit uh just as much if not more than i do uh it's not just the meme stock traders but it is and and the the zero dte you know zero days to expiration options which are kind of screwing up uh the the uh the vix as we know it uh, it's it's things that have been around for a while you know hedge fund activity high frequency trading uh and frankly, uh, you know, the dominance or the increased dominance of indexing, you know, that that's uh, you were talking before about that one situation as far as attribution and a, and a manager and the Madoff tie-in and everything. Well, I had something very, very recently. Uh, I won't steal my own thunder because the article hasn't come out on Seeking Alpha yet, but I kind of took on one of the let's call it, I don't know, sacred cows of the dividend uh, ETF world. And what I basically said was, hey, nothing wrong with it. It's competitive, but it probably shouldn't have taken off like a rocket ship in terms of assets under management because most of its growth, it happened to have one stock that probably isn't normally thought of as a dividend stock, but at a moment in time, it caught their dividend screen. And I think something that people, we'll touch a little bit on ETFs here today, uh, maybe more future episodes, uh, but it, when it comes to ETFs, I think one of the common mistakes people make is they think that there's something going on other than tracking an index. And in 95 to 98% of the cases, it's just an index. Okay, it may be a well-constructed index, but it's the index that's driving. Not not, not a lot of well-constructed indexes. Well, uh, yeah, going back to what you said before, Russell, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, quickly on small caps, um, 
You don't love the Russell 2000. Neither do I. What about the all, 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 all the small cap indexes out there suck. They're chock full of regional banks, you know, small regional banks yep. and, you know, no revenue. Hope our drug goes through biotechs. So it's really they're not a good representation because those stocks are just so more so much more volatile than the other stuff that's in there. You know, I tweeted about this the other day that somebody and probably not me should come up with a better small cap index that, you know, maybe either takes that stuff out or has it in such a small weighting that you can really get some exposure to some more more stuff you want exposure to. And he asked Coily, what's the what's the matter with uh, lots of small regional banks in 2023? Just kidding. I think we know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, you know, and in you know, we're recording this on what the 26th. Mm-hmm. We'll see. You know, it's it's looking like regional banks are rolling over again. Uh, you know, PacWest just had to sell off some assets, which made their stock price pop. Yeah, I'm thinking that may be a gift to short sellers. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yep. So let's let's kind of finish this discussion of I guess what I call risk risk management in 2023. Uh, you know, Matthew, there are two things about which they say you don't buy it, you rent it. Uh, so one of them is beer. I learned that in college a long time ago, and also today's stock market. And well, chili also. What's that? Ch- <laughs> chili. <laughs> uh, don't get me started. I just came back from uh, the Southern Hemisphere for the first time, and, and it wasn't the south of France or anything like that. Um, so, uh, you know, we we both learned lessons. It's funny. When we were uh, prepping to, to do this for the first time together, we, we both realized we had something in common. Uh, I, I have a bunch of things that are uh, considered my uh, my risk management influences. One of them is the fellow who's pictured behind me here. My late father, Carl Isbitz, passed away about 10 years ago. Taught me to chart stocks when I was 16, a mere 43 years ago. He was one of the influences. But the one that we share is we were both in lower Manhattan, not on the ultimate tragedy of 9-11, uh, but in 1993, when the Trade Center was bombed, they bombed the basement and they missed. Uh, I climbed down 97 flights of stairs with all of my coworkers that day. You were kind of caught or maybe on your way in there. Is that right? Um, no, I was I was down there at a meeting. Then we had a lunch meeting and then we called our car to take us back to the airport. And the car service was kind of like, what, what are you, crazy? Right. We we can't get a car down there. It's like, what happened? Right. Yeah. You you on the World Trade Center. Right. I had no idea. Right. Uh, especially because it was 30 years ago now. And it wasn't right. Like I mean, I had a cell phone, I think. <laughs> I mean, I guess cell phones existed back in 93. Yeah, they didn't do or, that. Or, may, or maybe they didn't. I don't even remember. Right. Right. Well, so look, I mean, we've all had risk management influences. I mean, to this day, every time I go into an elevator and I see that sign and it says, in case of fire, use stairs, uh, I think to myself, yeah, why is that the case? 
I mean, in the trade center, I used to go to nine, seven floor, two, two elevators. Well, the, the method you take on the way up might be very different than the way you take on the way down. And like all things, we like to bring it back to investing. Investing is that way too, because we have pretty long bull market, arguably, again, not to mix the, the terms bull and bear, but we had, let's call it generally forgiving markets with either light corrections or short, sharp, very quick bear cycles that reverse themselves, really going all the way back to the beginning of 2009. So what do you think that people should be doing differently? Let's call it second half of 23 into 24 uh, and beyond, if you like, that let's say is a little different from maybe what they've done the last 15 years or what they learned to do the last 15 years. So it really depends, unfortunately. I wish I could say, you know, hey, this is the right answer. And I think finance is a lot like nutrition. There's no one right answer. There's what works for you, but there are a lot of bad answers. And I think just like the standard American diet is probably a bad answer, the standard way of investing is also probably a bad answer. What works for you, though, is going to depend on a few things. You know, number one, how much time you have. So, you know, I'm sitting here all day, every day, going in and out of things trading. I've got time to do that. Also, what your level of expertise is. Investing is one area where, you know, and, and I've worked on Wall Street since, you know, 1990 and have been trading since the early 80s. Wall Street's one area where if you are not knowledgeable, you run the risk of being taken advantage of. And it's also in a lot of ways a zero sum game. So if I'm making money on something, someone on the other side of that trade lost money. Mm -hmm. So I got to be better than that guy on the other side. I think certainly you want to narrow down what works best for you. Um, but, you know, the risk side is extremely important. You know, I would focus on the fact that short selling is not a bad thing. You know, it gets demonized. People are like, you've got to be long only. You've got to be long only. Yeah. You know, short selling and, and you know, they'll say things like, well, if you had shorted Amazon at the bottom in 2002 and kept your short the whole time, you would have lost I'm like, OK, but that's stupid. I, I mean, I wouldn't have done, you know, risk management is, you know, part of that is position sizing. Yeah, I, 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 I call that Rickman Winkle uh, investing. You know, uh, you, you don't you don't fall asleep for. 20 years and then wake up and see how you did. Right. I mean, the one thing I would say is you don't set it and forget it, you know, because we've got something right now that we haven't had in a long time, which is 5% interest rates. You know, that's a game changer. You know, it used to be cash was trash. Now it's not. I mean, I just saw Tom Lee come out this morning and tweeted something bashing 5% saying, you know, hey, the markets are up this, you know, ha having money in cash earning 5% is bad. And then he offered a subscription to his premium service. So, huh, I, you know, I wonder why he's saying that. Maybe it's trying to get people to buy his subscription service, which you don't need if you can earn 5%.
So, you know, it's really focusing on the risk, being flexible, educating yourself. You know, markets are not a set it and forget it. And Wall Street's going to want you to think it is. They're going to want to sell you a target date fund or something like that, which is the stupidest idea I've ever heard of. Agreed. But like a lot of dumb ideas, there are parts of it that you listen to and you're like, wow, that makes a lot of sense until you start, you know, delving through it. And then you're like, oh, wait, no, it doesn't. Yeah, they, well, anytime, anytime Wall Street can annuitize the fees, uh, you know, they're going to put a lot of marketing muscle behind it. So I'm going to move on. I, I want to cover a little bit of that and then get to uh, uh, to some specific uh, ideas for everybody. But I would say this: I mean, anybody who's listening to this, you know, seeking alpha uh, listener, subscriber, or otherwise. Uh, you know, get familiar with the phrase talking your book, okay? Because that's kind of the golden rule of, of Wall Street, right? So, uh, and, and I guess you were talking about the four food groups. So I guess to, to put a wrapper on that part of the conversation, so you're saying the four food groups are not fried food, processed food, soda, and beer? No, the four food groups are steak, eggs, bacon, and steak. Okay, thank you. So we've solved that, if if if, if nothing else. Now, uh, just briefly on interest rates. I mean, I do want to get your opinion on this. So, I mean, I, I've written extensively. In fact, to my shock and surprise and delight, uh, when I first started writing for Seeking Alpha last year, uh, I was covering a lot of the things that both I owned or I thought were getting interesting or that were undercovered because I'm kind of the undercovered or undiscovered ETF guy, uh, modern income investor. And the with T-bill rates, okay, every time I wrote about like a T-bill ETF, there was so much interest. And this is when, pardon the pun, but but you know, because there is a lot more interest in T-bills, both financially and let's call it emotionally and people moving their dollars. And like you said, with uh, uh, with uh, what Tom Lee was saying, I, at this point, I don't think I've ever been a bigger fan of watching the Treasury yield curve, not only because, you know, they have a printing press and that's a good friend to have. Uh, as opposed to uh, credit bonds, corporates, things like that. Uh, I think the people that are reaching for high yield are, are you know, doing so at their peril unless they really, really, really know that. But the other thing I'm noticing is there is what I would call yield curve creep. Uh, you know, the six-month bill uh, yeah, as of uh, maybe 24 hours ago was at 5.4%, but the two-year is it four seven and the three year is at four three? Even the five year is now just crossing four percent. And I know whether again, as people have been financial advisors uh, or if you're a do-it-yourself investor, you kind of look at that and you say, well, it's it's nice to be able to lock in five point four percent for six months, but you're only getting it for six months. What's happening now, and I think the story in the bond market, and especially the treasury market, 
is that if you think it's going to be two, three years of mess, well, the price, or I should say the, the, the benefit of not having to deal with that with a big chunk of your portfolio, uh, the benefit is starting to go up. And I wonder if we're going to get the same type of, let's call it deluge of assets into two-year, three-year type treasury, ETFs, direct to the bonds, what have you. What do you think about that maybe evolution? Because I've never looked at bonds like that now. Yeah. So, you know, I would say if you think that the guys on the Fed are, you know, the smartest guys in the room directing things, you know, have their, you know, finger on the pulse of what's going on, you're crazy. They're making this stuff up as they go along. Yes. And, you know, in the markets, trying to figure out what they're going to do. And I mean, it's it's like trying to predict what a schizophrenic person is going to do. There, there's no, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. You know, at the beginning of the year, the market was going up because people thought they were going to pivot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they didn't pivot unless you count a pause as a pivot. You know, now they're saying two more hikes and no cuts for a while. Maybe, maybe not. So, you know, the way I've been doing it is I've been buying all of them. So I've been buying the six month. I've been buying the two year. I've been buying the three year. Yeah, you're laughing. You know, knowing that, you know, if we're sitting here six months from now and rates are at 7%, I'll be kicking myself for buying a two year, but also knowing that the Fed could break something and have to substantially decrease interest rates. And I'll be sitting here, you know, cheering that I bought a two year or a three year. So I think you know, you've got to have all of the above because you just have no idea what these guys are going to do because they have no idea what they're going to do. Well, you, my friend, are in luck because if you hold on for a couple of minutes, uh, I'm going to include in the stuff that I'm following, owning, et cetera, writing about on Seeking Alpha, something that actually can address that issue of the higher rates. And with that, why don't we head into what we are going to call for now the thunder round no it's not the lightning round because somebody else uses that i I still like the struck by thunder or struck by lightning round but you know what you you go boss okay uh the struck by lightning round great all right i i feel a country song coming on no uh so these are actionable ideas, okay? Or, or as uh, as I might call it, you know, for everything that comes up, you're bull, you're bear, or you don't care. Uh, because it's funny, somebody I knew in the business years ago, they came up with, a, I think, a great vision for what happens when you're managing money professionally. This might've been a Warren Buffett quote, I'm not sure. But they say three trays on the desk, in, out, and too tough. And sometimes it's just too tough. And look, with you know 3,000 some odd ETFs and thousands of stocks and a million ways to work in the bond, the option markets and futures and all that, you don't have to swing at every pitch, right? So, um, uh, and, and frankly, for me, I'll, there's a lot of that too tough on my screen right now. Uh, so let's, let's do a little back and forth if we can here. Um, I mean, my, my general take is 
equities are a trade at best. Okay, maybe the QQQ narrowly based market continues for a while. We're almost at the end of the second quarter as we record this. Funky things happen when new quarters start. July is when earnings season starts. So uh, yeah, it's a curious time of the year given what's already uh, happened. Uh, but you know, as from one chartist to another, I try to look for things that I can say are are more than just, let's say, a trade or a tactical move in equities. And one by one, they're just rolling over small caps, transports, financial, biotech, home builders, REITs, just about everything. And that's why I say, you know, wow, uh, getting familiar with single inverse ETFs is a good idea for investors. Uh, I actually just uh, reported, uh, wrote on Seeking Alpha on symbol REK, which is a very uh, underfollowed, a 60 million AUM, 50 million, something like that. It's been around for 13 years. Uh, but, you know, when do you really have a chance to make a lot of money shorting anything, much less REITs? Uh, and so that's when I put out there. What do you have when it comes to, let's call it the the, the equity markets broadly and then narrow down, drill down as much as you like. So I like to always look for the fat pitches. And I would agree with you from the standpoint of there are not really any fat pitches right now. It's a lot harder than it was. So you mentioned REITs. Mm-hmm. You know, we were shorting REITs in regional banks, you know, a couple of months ago. To me, that was a fat pitch. That was easy money. I still think the REITs and regional banks are shorts here. I just yep. don't think it's going to be nearly as easy as it was, you know, in the past. So, you know, now I'm looking for pops. You know, something goes up, hits some sort of resistance area, and we we'd still we look to short it there versus, you know, trying to short a falling knife or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think the magnificent seven stocks are undergoing some sort of correction, I would be shorting them here, but very, 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 very cautiously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we have been and, you know, so far so good, but, you know, that could turn around at any minute. Um, you know, we, I like to watch the precious metal stocks yeah. because those are names that can move up or down, you know, regardless of what the equity markets are doing. There really hasn't been anything going on there for a while. Long precious metals was easy money a couple of months ago. I mean, we're really in an environment where there's just nothing where I can say, you know, hey, that trade's a fat pitch. I mean, Mm -hmm. crypto now is one of those, you know, Kramer likes to say, you know, own it, don't trade it. Crypto is one of those trade it, don't own it. You know, great trades in crypto. I mean, we were doing... We had a lot of fun last week in in Marin Coin. Mm-hmm. Um, I missed the trades on Marin Coin today, unfortunately. You know, you had some longs and then some shorts in there, which could have been nice. Um, yeah, but there really are no fat pitches, which is why I'd, I mean I'd be looking at that five percent cash, especially after Tom Lee came out and panned it, because you know his track records. Um, Let's say not great. Uh, And full disclosure, uh, to kind of sum up how much I think we're aligned on a lot of this. I mean, personally, my portfolio includes put options on the SPY, 
put options on the queues and a uh, double short uh, because there isn't a great single short on the gold mining stocks. Uh, small size because it's a double and, and all that. And, and I guess, you know, I want people to know, especially, you know, if we're invited back to do this again, uh, which I hope we are, we, we both look at the market, I would like to say, look at all things all the time. And it's not a matter of, uh, I like to say, investing is never black or white. It's always shades of gray, not a movie reference there. Uh, black or white does not work. And so I will get a lot of comments on my Seeking Alpha article as well. If you like this or whatever, uh, or if you if you don't like the S&P, why don't you just you know, buy an inverse ETF with all your money. Well, no, I mean, it's a, especially now more than ever, it's a, it's a moving dial. I keep something I create called a Roar score, uh, which is kind of like, you know, out of, out of a hundred dollars, how much money would be in equities and, or offense as we call it, and how much money would be in defense in the form of T-bills, short-term treasuries, whatever. And that Roar score the offense portion has not been above, I think, 40 or 45 percent of the total in like a year and a half. So it's that type of environment. And so and especially we didn't really talk too much about about time frame investing. But as chartists, we look at less than a day, a day, you know, three day, weekly, all the way out to monthly. And depending on your time frame. Okay, I, I bet it's the same for you. I mean, you could, you literally, I mean, there would be nothing wrong with, let's say, just take a very basic example, okay? You know, owning something and then also owning something that is most likely going to be negatively correlated with it because you don't know which one's going to happen first and you can end up making money on both over the next several months. Well, also, you could have different time frames. I mean, we've got LG and Yeah which are the exact opposite of each other. So, you know, I've been personally an S gym because I've been shorting the Magnificent Seven. But if I see the market popping, I may buy some L gym for a trade. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, certainly you can have that. You've got different time frames in your portfolio, different things, you know, that you're looking at. Yep. Um, so I, I will say this, the one... And I don't know, I'm going to come back to the small cap thing for just a second. And now, because we're talking about timeframes, if you have a three, four, five year time horizon, which I think speaks to a good chunk of the Seeking Alpha audience, maybe the majority of it, the best thing I can say about the equity market right now, if you've got that longer term time horizon, uh, there are a lot of small cap stocks selling at single digit price earnings multiples. Now, okay, the P is there. You don't know what the future of the E is, okay? But I'm single digit. So uh, for instance, I mean, one of the ones that that, that I own uh, is the, uh, the Pacer US small cap cash cows 100 ETF, symbol is CAT, C-A-L-F. It sells for five times trailing earnings and 0.4 times sales. Do you think that anything that looks like that right now is just as much a mirage as 
uh, a fang stock selling it, you know, uh, 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 you know, four times uh, PE to growth, uh, you know, peg ratio? So normally I'd say no. What we don't know, again, is what impact AI is going to have. Yeah. And, you know, if you are the leaders in AI, you know, where, what that does for your earnings. And I, you know, I think we just don't know. I mean, could putting a small cap cash cow in your portfolio for three to five years, would I think three to five years from now you would have made money? I think you will. Um, you know, that's the type of thing where you've got to be able to put it in there. And, you know, if, if you're that type of investor, not worry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, you know, I'm I'm not touching small caps right now, um, just because I don't see opportunities there. I mean, again, I don't see all. Oh no, there's no, there's no right now. There's no right now in equities for me. Although, again, you know, because I like to look at offense and defense and play them at the same time. You're already putting thoughts in my head, probably to be continued for next time, along with a more extensive AI conversation. Uh, is uh, you know something like a cap, or there's plenty of other small cap, you know, low PE stuff out there. Uh, over the next few years, uh, I would feel strongly that if you were long that type of thing, and you had a modest inverse position in the in the Nasdaq via let's say PSQ single inverse ETF I'm not talking about tomorrow next week next month next quarter but over the next few years again going back to the dot com bubble 70% or 80% peak to trough for the Nasdaq going to happen at some point and now you start spending more of your time looking at pairs at least I do and say well what's going to outperform um uh, so anyway, last you, you uh, just got to have the patience for it. Yeah, well, that's because, it. That's you it. know, the, the Nasdaq. I'm sure, you know, if, if the Nasdaq is going to crumble, which it may very well, bet you it's got at least another run left in it. Hmm. And the last thing you want is to be staring at massive paper losses, make them real, and then you know what you thought was going to happen happens. Yep. Which is why just like, I mean, inverse ETFs are really any any type of tail risk hedge. You kind of have to look at it the way you look at a short position, as we discussed before, right? Uh, you're not buying it to hold it forever. You're buying it until you believe you're either uh, sufficiently right and take a profit or uh, you're wrong. And maybe you can't convince yourself 100% why you're wrong. And you say, OK, uh, I'm not going to just keep losing and falling my sword, right? Well, right. And, you know, and just as a guy who knows inverse ETFs real well, the one difference is you can't lose unlimited amounts of money. So in my in my Amazon example, yeah, if you had shorted Amazon at the lows in 2002 and held that short, you would have lost a lot, a lot of money mm-hmm. <laughs> versus you know, a PSQ where you can only lose as much as you put in. Yep, completely, a thousand percent agree. Sorry, bad math there. Um, last item, uh, when it comes to uh, this kind of uh, don't hit, get hit by lightning round or thunder round or whatever, we'll, 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 we'll figure that one out. 
so just a couple of things I've covered on Seeking Alpha uh, and, and uh, a couple of things that, that I do own uh, personally, I've mentioned this in the reports. So one, and this goes back to what we were saying before about, well, you know, you want to stay in that kind of three month to three year, let's call it kind of uh, uh, maturity range when it comes to uh, treasuries. Um, but what if rates go up? Well, you, you know, a lot of ETFs will roll them over, but then there's TFLO, T-F-L-O, uh, which owns uh, only floaters. And so that means that as rates go uh, flying, you can benefit from that. It can work the other way on the downside, but you know, it's yielding about five and a quarter right now. So TFLO is, uh, is, is one that I wrote about a while back. And the other, and this is, uh, I don't know if you use this all by itself, but you know, there's going to come a point where this Fed rate cycle is going to end and the longer end of the yield curve, uh, the 20 to 30 year treasuries uh, will will finally reverse lower in yield higher in price. Um, there's a, a trio of ETFs that came out last year. Uh, one that I own is TLTW. This owns the 20 to 30 year treasury ETF, TLT, but then it writes covered calls on it every month. So it's giving a double digit yield. And as I see it, if the battle between the bulls and the bears and long bond yield, which has lasted for you know, a while now, um, that's okay. I'm getting the call premium. Um, and uh, when rates do eventually go down, keeping the call premium and you're, you're, uh, you're getting some uh, pop from from the TLT, uh, TLTW, the ETF, has about 340 million in uh, uh, assets in it right now. I've been around for less than a year, but still what I would call under the radar. And you know, I'm the undiscovered ETF guy, at least according to me. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts in that area or others before we finish up? So the cool thing about ETFs, I mean, most ETFs out there run strategies that you could do yourself, but they mm -hmm. offer convenience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, something like the TLTW, me being a trader, I would much prefer buy the TLT myself and decide when, how, if I'm going to do covered calls on it. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to do puts, you know, who knows what I'm going to do. Um, if you're someone who doesn't have the time to be watching through that or the expertise, I think TLTW is a great product. Yeah, it was an idea we were kicking around and we're beaten to it. <laughs> so mm. I, I do think it is a really good idea. Um, you know, right now, I you know, TLT to me is a trading vehicle. It's one we I have not personally traded in a while because it's mm. just all over the place. And you know, being a chart guy, I like clean chart yeah. patterns. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. This is this is based on. When I when I put a little position in and look, I mean, uh, 59 years old, I start to think a lot more about income and and uh, I'm not one of these people. It's like, oh, uh, show me a closed end fund with 22 percent uh, income. And, and I'll you know, even though I'll lose that much in principle, at least I'll feel good. I mean, you know, there, there's way too much of that going on. Um, but uh, way uh, no, too I, much of that. Yeah, yeah. And and look, I mean, again, it's a little different because you know we've been doing this professionally for a long time. You know, I put TLTW in there 
put a stake in the ground. And just like you said, it could be, you know, put options at certain times. There's an inverse uh, uh, TLT, TF, uh, uh, symbol TVF. So there's all kinds of ways you can work around it, but it all comes down to what is happening in this case with TLT. And I see TLT as range bound, which means I like being able to keep the call premium coming in. Uh, and the, you know, the only thing that can backfire is, is, is that the rates go flying higher. And if they do, guess what? There's TBF, which again is why and I, hopefully you know, we'll talk about this on future episodes, you know, investing today, whether you do it yourself, or you have somebody else do it for you, is it's a matter of, okay, you have to do some digging. And then once you've dug really deep, keep digging. And, uh, and I think that the wide variety of vehicles and combated by the wide variety of media hype that surrounds us, like we talked about at the top of this, those are the two things that have changed. And uh, I think that's why we are out here trying to be uh, you know, educators through uh, whatever it is, combined 60 something years of experience. So uh, anything else from you, Matthew? This, uh, I've really enjoyed this, thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, just you know, be, be careful out there right now. All right. Well, for Matthew Tuttle, this is Rob Isbitz, and thanks for listening to the Seeking Alpha Investing Experts podcast. All Investing Experts podcast episodes are available with full transcripts on Seeking Alpha. Also, any article mentioned in this podcast will be available on the show notes. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app. And we'll see you soon with a new episode.